So it happened, Kate. It happened. It finally happened. We screwed it up. We screwed it up. It was really bad. 58 episodes of Rhymes with Orange over a two and a half year period. And we finally came across this problem that I've dreaded. Just, you, know, you always fear this. You always fear this. But then, you know, you're 58 episodes in. You think, hey, you know. We got this. We got this. And uh, why don't you tell the the people out there what, what we, we recorded did. a beautiful podcast uh, yesterday. Only yesterday. Um, a glorious half hour of great conversation. And then we returned to our office to realize that it had been entirely overtaken by a static that we did not know was there. To the point where it was absolutely unintelligible and could yeah. not be published. And I we would, both cried a little I bit. I would best describe it as a static and a crackle. A poltergeist and a was poltergeist probably in the room. There. Yeah. Uh, faulty... Uh, you know, we don't We're have. We're still not sure. We don't. Well, we don't have the most glorious equipment in the world, but we have pretty decent equipment, and uh, it was a weird, loose connection, maybe between yeah. our soundboard and our computer. Don't mean to get too technical. Had it been in our headphones, we would have known, and we would have fixed it on the spot, but. We were clueless, and then, like you said, we went back to listen to our brilliant, <laughs> <laughs> and we weren't the brilliant part of it. It was our guest who was brilliant, and then, uh, wow. So, But there's good news on this, and that uh, our guest today, Dr. Sherry Truffin, um, she is returning today, and we're going to do it all again. I remember when I asked her to do this yesterday, well, no, I emailed her yesterday and said, you know, unfortunately... This happened, and uh, I think at the end of the email, I said, I mean, I guess we could try it again, but, you know, I understand this is a lot of your time, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she was like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll do it again. So what you're about to hear is take two of an interview. Hopefully it, uh, I don't know, how do you think this will affect what we do? Because we're very conversational. Right. We're worried about having the same conversation, <laughs> the exact same conversation twice. We don't want any of the magic to be lost to our listeners, such as you are, listeners. <laughs> but uh, the reason we have Dr. Sherry Truffin on, first off, she is a uh, Associate Professor of English and Director and Chair of the Honors Program here at Campbell University. Um, and uh, we will, actually, I'll explain this when we start interviewing her again, but uh, long story short, she just finished her first semester uh teaching english at a correctional facility in uh, east north carolina and uh had you <laughs> been able to hear the first interview it's really a fascinating story mm -hmm. and uh hopefully we'll get that same magic going the second Definitely. time around so uh um, once again i'm gonna <laughs> hit repeat here and wish everybody a merry christmas thank you very much for listening and up next dr sherry truffin Dr. Sherry Truffin, uh, welcome back so soon. <laughs> you are uh, returning to our studio for the second day in a row. Uh, first, so thank you so much. I know yeah. in the email when I told you of the disaster we had, um, I kind of threw in the little remark at the end. I said, I mean, I guess we can re-record it if you really wanted to. And you didn't even blink. You just said, yeah, let's do it again. So Such a good we, won't dwell, <laughs> we won't dwell on it. But thank you so much for, for rejoining us today. And uh um, now that you've had a practice round, uh, hopefully this will go just as smoothly. 
Sounds good to me. <laughs> Glad right. to be here. Um, and I'm not, this is the only time I'm going to say this, but like we asked you yesterday, <laughs> sure. uh, the only time I'll say that, like we asked you yesterday, uh, before we get into why you're here, uh, tell us about your role at Campbell University and what brought you here. Okay, I'm a professor of English and I have a specialization in American literature and I'm the director of the honors program. And I came to Campbell in 2011 after teaching in colleges, uh, teaching at colleges and universities in Georgia, Chicago, and Ohio. And I got here because a former colleague of mine um, from a college in Georgia, Dr. Ken Moorfield, is a member of Campbell's English department. And he told me it was a good place to work and let me know when there was an opening. So that's how it all came together. And there's a Ohio connection in here. You're from the Cleveland area, yes. uh, Kate. Central Ohio. Central Ohio. Um, what is it Marion? Marion. Yeah, you okay. know it. Yep, but I'm from born, Cleveland. And I was born in Steubenville, but but I moved away at a young age. I actually grew up in Texas, so okay. um, when that's a big ask, difference. Yeah, you, you have to acclaim Texas when you're when you grow up in Texas, or else they <laughs> they kick you out. So, uh, <laughs> but no, so. Um, the reason we have you on, uh, and I actually discovered this from a tweet that you uh, wrote earlier this month, and I saw that you had written um, that you had just finished your first semester teaching at a correctional facility, and I saw that tweet, and, and you said really great things about it, and we'll go into that a little bit later, but you said really good things about the experience, and I thought, wow, I want to learn more about that, and I didn't know, A, that uh, that we had professors that were doing that here, B, I didn't know Campbell University um, had a program with correctional facilities, so can you tell us uh, how you got involved in this and uh, what piqued your interest to do this? Okay, well, I got involved uh, with it because Dr. John Robertson, Executive Vice President, is really the force behind the program. And it started just this past semester, fall 2019. And when he found out um, when the planning was taking place and he knew there would be a need for an English course, he uh, recommended me for the position. And I was happy to say yes uh, for a couple reasons. One, uh, as an Episcopalian, um, I attend a church that has a standard liturgy. And part of that liturgy, every week, we say the prayers of the people. And we pray for families, communities, uh, leaders of nations. And we pray for prisoners and captives and for those who remember and care for them. So um, so I've been attending Episcopal churches for years. And um, here was an opportunity to be one of those people who remembers and cares for prisoners. And uh, also, I have an older sister who's been incarcerated. So uh, the idea of education educational opportunities for prisoners was um, was something immediately attractive and appealing to me. So I had no trouble saying yes. And Dr. Gina Peterman, the chair of the English department, was has been very kind in allowing me some release time from uh, main campus teaching to be able to teach at the facility. So you teach English at Campbell University. Um, are you also teaching English? And uh, tell us about uh, where you're teaching. Is this a men or women's prison? Uh, and um, just, uh, you know, who are your students? Uh, what, are, what are some of the hoops you had to jump through in order to gain access to this? Just uh, tell us um, what, what you do there. Okay, it's, um, I'm teaching at the Sampson County Correctional Facility in Clinton, North Carolina, and it's a men's uh, medium security prison. 
and the the uh, the hoops were uh, I was I was fairly intimidated about all the procedures getting used to that kind of environment. Uh, it was, for example, uh, the first employment document I've ever uh, filled out that required me to include detailed descriptions of tattoos and scars. So that was different. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the orientation was pretty, you know, was pretty extensive. Lots of rules and regulations, as you might imagine, for good reason. And uh, but uh, it's a challenging class to teach in structurally or logistically because it's once a week. The students don't have any access to email or internet, uh, which makes teaching research complicated. I'm teaching English 100, English Fundamentals, and I'll be going back and teaching English 101, academic writing in the in the spring. So uh, the challenges of teaching research, uh, we were waiting for students to get laptops, for example, for quite a while. So uh, it's been years since I've graded handwritten <laughs> drafts and uh, handwritten revisions. And so um, very old school, so some of the hoops. There's also some challenges of working at the facility in terms of timing. I don't have a lot of control over when um, when class starts uh, because uh, the prisoners all have to get breakfast. The students have to get breakfast before they come to a three-hour class, which is a good thing. So <laughs> we start late. We have lots of um, interruptions, announcements, and a loudspeaker, uh, various. We had an earthquake drill one day uh, in the middle of class. So those kinds of challenges. As far as the students go, they're, um, I don't know uh, I don't know what their backgrounds are particularly. They are, but I can say they're exceptionally motivated, exceptionally. Uh, exceptionally hardworking. They're very aware that having access to this program is a privilege and they're very motivated to do well. They want to find a way to be role models to their children, which is very challenging from prison. Uh, they're working in an atmosphere, they're, they're living in an atmosphere of relentless negativity and they're trying to look to the future to have a better future for their families. Uh, they want to encourage their kids to go to college and mm-hmm. they think that if they can complete a degree while they're incarcerated, that that would be a good step. So the students are are hardworking and highly motivated. And you said medium security prison. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Um, and you've said that, uh, or maybe you said this off off mic, but you made it a point not to ask why they're there. Was that something that uh, the prison asked you not to say, or is that just a personal choice you made? That was a personal choice. Uh, it seems to me that it might be difficult for me to, to treat them as students and not be distracted by thinking about their crimes. Mm-hmm. So I really did not want to know what put them there. I wanted, uh, at the orientation from at the facility, there was some talk about how terminology has changed over the years in North Carolina. And the word used to be inmates, and now it's offenders, and the the the, the offenders don't like the term offenders for understandable sure. reasons. Right. But I kind of cut through all that. I'm like, from my perspective, they're students, and yeah. mm-hmm. um, and they're in a very depersonalized, humanized environment. So I think it's very important. You know, most of their daily lives are about whatever crime they committed. But when they're in class, it's about their learning and their development, and my finding the balance between academic challenge and support as I would try for any student you mentioned that it had been a while since you graded papers the analog way (laughs) yes Um, i'm curious about the students that you're working with are many of them well 
Are they required to have already graduated high school? And if so, have many of them been out of school for long? Is this a difficult transition for them just getting back into the swing of being in education again? Absolutely. That's a great question. Uh, many of them have been out of school for a very long time, and they, uh, but they did have to meet Campbell's admissions requirements that wow. they would for the adult and online education program. And that's the umbrella, uh, that's the division that this program is part of, is the adult and online education. And so they had to meet admissions requirements and they had to provide proof that they graduated from high school. For some, it was many years ago. Mm. Um, I don't know how old they are, and I'm terrible at judging these things, but (laughs) I would guess that the average age is maybe um, early to mid-30s. Some of them are younger, or I think some of them probably late 30s. So they have been out of school for quite some time, and getting back into being a student is a challenge for them. Yeah, I'm I'm sure Mm -hmm. it's a a different experience than the first time around, but now that you've had an entire semester to get acclimated What was it like for you early on adjusting to teaching, first of all, older students, students with totally different mindsets about their education, but also like you don't know what their backgrounds are. Was right, um, right. And, and they are a range of talents. Uh, certainly, we, uh, it, a decision was made to start all the students at English 100, uh, but some of the students, I think, would have easily tested into English 101 mm-hmm. if they had been on main campus. Um, so there was a challenge. Uh, my biggest worries were really about teaching the course when most of my teaching experiences with your traditional 18 to 22-year-old college mm-hmm. student Um, And so I don't have a lot of teaching experience with adult learners. And I thought it was really important to to help them feel ownership of the class. So I gave them a lot of choices about what we would read and what they would write about. Um, I, some of them had very low level writing skills. Some of them had very pretty strong skills for freshmen in college. So finding the right balance of, again, challenge and support. So getting acclimated was really partially about the normal things that um, that a semester, you know, every semester you've got to build trust with students. You've got to find the balance between academic challenge, academic support. You've got to help the students to be motivated. You've got to do all those things. Some things were easier in this class. The students were motivated. They feel like they have something to prove in a way that a lot of college freshmen do Mm -hmm. not. They understand education is a privilege in a way a lot of college freshmen do not. Uh, But at the same time, um, I I wanted to make sure that they felt like they weren't being treated like that typical 18-year-old. And and all the topics that I would normally assign in a freshman writing class uh, just aren't really appropriate for that group. So I think my biggest, uh, the biggest learning curve besides operating in the facility um, with all the distractions and disruptions and um, Mm. lack of technology and all that was just making sure the class was um, developmentally appropriate and making sure that I was uh, was doing the best with that group of people um, and not and, and making sure that I was conveying respect and earning their trust uh, to teach them. Sure. Earlier you mentioned that with college freshmen, typical topics are, are things that are more relevant to an 18-year-old, um, mm-hmm. the effects of social media, the effects of technology, the way you see the world as a an up-and-coming, whatever we are now, Gen X, Gen Z. Anyway. Pick or Z. Things that I don't know. probably would not resonate as well with prisoners, but you also mentioned that they had asked you for more Play-Doh. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of topics have you been avoiding and which ones have you been really embracing? With yeah. Them? Well, in my regular main campus classes, I have them write a lot about technology and everyday life and social media, and I have them write about issues in college life, you know, controversies over curriculum, mm-hmm. uh, fraternities and sororities, and so- stuff that's really not 
appropriate for that context. Plus, the prisoners don't have access to these technologies, so that's not part of their everyday life either. So um, I started with some educational topics, you know, uh, which I sometimes do in regular classes anyway, but we were reading an article that kept referencing Plato's Allegory of the Cave, and a couple of the students were like, "Why, why don't we read this? And I, uh, I thought that would be a little maybe painful or mm-hmm. a little on the nose, but the students really got into it. We had a great discussion. Several of them wanted, to, uh, several of them did write their third paper on Plato. And when I had them do reflections at the end, a couple of them said, "Well, next semester let's do more stuff like wow. Plato." And that is not something yeah, I hear typically <laughs> hear from a student. As a professor, whether you're in college or whether you're in a correctional facility. It's got to be great to hear students say, we want more, like, <laughs> oh, feed us. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and it's an intense class. Uh, I think partially because they, they don't have the same support network that students on main campus have. So when I get to that class, they are, you know, they are intense. You know, I need help on my thesis statement. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about this. They want to succeed. And they're eager and they're excited to have an identity that's separate from just a criminal, a yeah. felon, an offender. They they get to be students and that's exciting to them and they want to grow, they want to become better writers. They're uh, a lot of them like poetry, which surprised me. So at the end of the semester, I brought them um I picked a poem for each of them uh wow. that I thought they might like based on something they'd said in a journal or a paper and I had a, a great time trying to figure out the poems. I brought them to the final exam, the last class, and I said, "Okay, I might have guessed wrong on some of <laughs> So you feel free to give that poem to someone else if you really think, you know, I gave you the wrong poem. But they were they were so excited about that. And um, I had taken one day to kind of take a break from grammar Mm -hmm. and given them a Langston Hughes poem to talk about. And we had a great discussion. And I and a a couple of them came up after and said they wrote poetry. They'd like to they'd like to do more poetry, which is also not something. Yeah, you don't hear that from 18 very often from my students. So this is this is timely because going back to your December fifth tweet, you mm-hmm. uh, you compared your experience to a documentary that just came out on PBS, College Behind Bars. It's a four part documentary from Lynn Novick, and uh, you said in your tweet, "My students are experiencing the same stresses and expressing the same hopes and fears as the men and women featured in this documentary." So glad this film tells the this film tells these stories. Uh, tell us more about this documentary and how does what you saw in it um, compare to your own experience? Yeah, well, I recommend that anybody see this documentary. It's very powerful. And I've actually asked uh, Campbell's library to order a copy for the collection, a copy of the DVD. So that should be arriving soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's fabulous. It follows the Bard Prison Initiative in New York and interviews both men and women who have been able uh, to be part of that program that's been around since 2001. Uh, I saw on their website that of the students who've been through that program, 97.5% of them have stayed out of prison after release, which is fabulous. But the documentary is not is less focused on the recidivism rates and the effect of education um, as it does on the stories of the individuals. And they're just, they're so, these students in the documentary are 
are excited to learn. They're connecting on a very personal level with the literature. One man interviewed in the documentary had read The Odyssey, and he said, you know, he was just like Ulysses. He was just trying to get home. And um, that really stuck with me as a literature professor. And a lot of the students, um, you know, want to change their lives, but they know the odds are against them uh, when they get out of prison, that there's going to be opportunities that are not available to them. So um, they also know that a lot of people uh, resent the idea of, of prisoners getting college educations. And so um, they, they know that that... Um, that negativity is not just in the prison, but it's out there kind of in the world. And my students have expressed a lot of the same things. They, uh, um, they're also scared of getting kicked out of the program because minor infractions can result in the loss of this privilege. And sometimes things happen in prison that not everyone is in control of. Sure. So my students have talked in journals about feeling like they have to be perfect. You know, they have to do everything right to be able to stay in this program. And they want to prove people wrong. They want to prove that they can do this work, that they deserve a second chance. And you mentioned, um, you mentioned maybe that there's a little bit of controversy to the idea of uh, um, people who are in prison receiving a, a free education. First off, uh, this is privately funded, correct? Yes, okay. yes. Well, even if it wasn't, um, to, in your opinion, uh, why is it important to to have something like this for, for, for these men and women um, while, while they're spending their time there? Why is this important and how does this help them when they do get out? Uh, great question. I think that, uh, well, I think... American culture, we see ourselves as a place of opportunity. And so I think we should believe in second chances for one. I also think that our criminal justice system, which I'm not an expert on, seems heavily focused on punishment mm -hmm. um, instead of rehabilitation. And education seems absolutely critical to rehabilitation uh, from my perspective. So I think these programs should be seen as an investment, not just in these individuals, um, because we can get caught up and who deserves what, but these people want to, are motivated for their families, they're motivated for the future. Um, if it cuts down recidivism rates, it's good for, uh, it's good for our uh, public safety, it's good for our whole culture. So I think these programs are investments. Um, we have plenty of punishment. Uh, so uh, when you work at a correctional facility that doesn't maybe emphasize rehabilitation on corrections as part of a whole, whole system. So I think it's really an investment, not just in these people, although from where I'm standing, they're motivated, they're hardworking, they want to learn, they want to change their lives, uh, they want that second chance, but also an investment in, you know, uh, our future, our communities and uh, future generations, you know, the, the children of these incarcerated individuals didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so if their lives can be improved through education, then that's a good thing. Certainly. And it's great to have your perspective on that. I know that it sounds like you, you went into this very open-minded, very confident mm -hmm. in the process and mm -hmm. in what you were doing, which I think is wonderful. And I'm just curious, is there anything that did surprise you um, about working with people who are incarcerated, good or bad, or anything that you've taken away? 
as the result of the semester? Yeah. Um, I would say that sometimes it struck me how normal it was. Mm. Um, there were some days, like there was one guy for the first couple of weeks who was a little bit out of it in the bag, didn't quite know what was going on. There was <laughs> one guy who didn't think he should have to be in that class. There was one guy who's taken down everything I say and worried he's going to miss something for a test. That's very you normal student behavior. So sometimes it was it would strike me how normal they were. <laughs> um, but once we broke the ice and once trust was built, um, it was so much fun. I really look forward to the class because the guys are they're funny. Um, you know, uh, they found out I was from Cleveland and I joked <laughs> about being a fan of the Cleveland Browns. Ooh. And so every week they would talk to me about what happened at the Cleveland Browns game and they would Low work. Fruit, though, they yeah. would, <laughs> they would, absolutely. They would, uh, they would work comments about the Cleveland Browns into their writing assignment. So for me, they were like little Easter eggs in movies. I was like waiting to see how they would work the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> and the students would be like, do we get extra credit if we say something good about the Cleveland Browns? So they were really, really fun funny. Um, so they were just a joy to work with because once they settled in and saw that they were respected and I was treating them individually, um, then uh, we just kind of were all learning together. So it was exciting to watch them learn. One of my favorite things on the final exam, um, there was a question about a comma splice. So Ooh. the question was just define comma splice. And one guy, this is an absolutely correct answer, but it cracked <laughs> me up. He said, a comma splice, I know from experience is a comma improperly used to join two independent clauses. Nice. So that's exactly right. But he had had many comma splices marked incorrectly on his papers, <laughs> and he did learn. But just just that kind of tongue-in-cheek, I know I from know experience. experience. So they, um, so I think what surprised me was that once we settled in, it was fun. Um, yeah. The discussions were fun. Their writing assignments were fun to read. And I saw so much improvement in their writing, more probably than I've ever seen mm. in a single semester class because they were putting so much work into it. So I was surprised when I saw some of their first papers at the beginning of the semester, I thought, I don't know what's going to happen here, but they work so hard and I yeah. saw so much improvement, which is of course what the main thing you want to see as a teacher is not just to be amused by your students, but to see them learning and growing and getting excited about learning. And you are returning in the spring, correct? Yes, I'll be teaching English 101 and then hopefully with the same cohort, I'll teach English 102 in the summer. Great. We're really looking forward to hearing more about this program and Great. tracking it across all the different, all the disciplines because English is not the only course being taught here. But um, for people who are interested, that documentary is called College Behind Bars. You can look up hashtag College Behind Bars PBS and Absolutely. you can also follow Dr. Treffin on Twitter. But thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your experience. Thank you for I having an, me. Uh, real quick, I have an idea. Yeah. This went so well. I think in the future, all of our podcasts should have a practice run. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> no, you were a great sport about this, Dr. Treffin. Thank yeah. you so much. And uh, we hope to have you back. Thank you. Thank you.